Welcome to Only Tech Will Tell, the podcast where we give you an understanding of the full scope of today's most significant innovations and their implications for the future. Let's get started. All right, welcome back to Only Tech Will Tell. This is Evan and Andrew. And today we're going to be discussing 5G in all its glory. In all its glory, indeed. There's just been a ton of hype. Uh, you know, actually, I feel like we started off this way in our last podcast. <laughs> yeah, talking about how much Talk, hype the yeah, yeah, exactly, has. exactly. That, but that's generally um, the stuff that I think I think is really interesting is the stuff that gets picked up by the media. So yeah, five G, ton of hype. Let's talk about whether that hype is validated and and legit, um, and 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 what's going to happen going forward with it. Absolutely. So we'll start off with uh, some basic terminology just to get everyone on the same page with how this technology works, what all the different terminology means. I'm going to get into a little bit of the health risks or not that's kind of controversial and uh, developing a sort of larger and larger counterculture. We'll get into that. Um, like Andrew said, discussing uh, whether or not the hype is justified, discuss where we're at now with the technology, and then, of course, the directions for the future. So, you want to start us off with some basic terminology, kind of define 5G for us? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, so 5G stands for fifth generation, and it's referring to the fifth generation of cellular um, phone network technology, right? So, so first gen, or, or 1G, it probably wasn't called 1G at the time, but that started in the 1970s and 1980s. It was a purely analog uh, network technology. It wasn't digital at all. So, uh, because of that, um, as the information was being transmitted from cell phone to cell phone, the information was not encrypted. So anyone could listen in to anyone else's phone calls, um, which, of course, is problematic. At the time, I'm sure it was fine because there, there, there weren't too many people having, having conversations on cell phones back in the 70s and 80s. But the second generation technology, 2G, added digi- uh, the, the digital component, right? So And, and that allowed cell phone providers and operators to to encrypt the data and add other services on top of it. And so each of the subsequent generations of of cell phone uh, transmission technology has has incorporated uh, a bunch of different different services, new services each time. So 2G of course added the the digital component, 3G added faster internet, 4G added even faster data speeds uh, among other things. And we're kind of kind of skimming through the the basic details here. And then 5G is what we're going to be talking about now. So I'm sure most of us can remember the the transitions from 2 to 3 to 4G. The original iPhone in fact, which came out in 2007 was still only used 2G networks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, of course, that, that made data speeds, internet speeds on the original iPhone to be very slow. You had to connect to a Wi-Fi network uh, in order to experience any any kind of faster data speeds. Um, and I do just want to be clear that we're talking about cell phone uh, and cellular data transfer technology. So this is the the right. wireless transfer of information from a cell phone to a cell tower. Now, most people think that the vast majority of uh, cell phone networks or phone networks in general are wireless, but that's actually not true. It's actually just the very last part of the data transmission from the handset, from from the cell phone that you're holding your, in your hand to, uh, to the cell phone tower itself. That's the only part that is wireless. Hmm. Uh, the rest, as soon as the data gets to the cell tower, it immediately goes underground uh, to a network of fiber optic and cable lines. Uh, and the rest of the, the data transmission, uh, for the most part, is on wires. Even, even under the ocean, if, if you're talking with somebody on another continent, um, the information is still being transmitted under, underground or under, under the water in fiber optic cables. Uh, and then if you're speaking with somebody on the other end who's on a cell phone, that last little bit, that last mile or so, quarter mile, whatever it is, will, will again be be wireless. Anything else that you wanted to add about the history of wireless transmission tech? Not about the history. I thought it was interesting, though, that the first generation 1G was not necessarily encrypted. Yeah, pretty Because, wild. you know, you, you said in the 70s there's there probably weren't a lot of conversations that were happening, right? But it was probably only the wealthy people or bankers, businesses that were using cell phones. Uh-huh. So it's almost like a higher risk to not encrypt that anyway. Yeah, it doesn't really matter at this point. So, no, no, but it, yeah, it's an interesting it, point. And you could really, at that time, you could buy off-the-shelf components and kind of listen in to other people's phone calls, which I, I think is really interesting. It is interesting, yeah. And I, I also wanted to be clear that uh, 5G is not the same as the 5 gigahertz signal yes, on your yes. Wi-Fi router. I've heard people kind of confuse that, and they were like, oh, so it's just using 
like old Wi-Fi uses 2.4 and then this new 5G is using like the same thing as the 5 gigahertz on your Wi-Fi. And I was like, uh, no, no, not at all. They're not even comparable. 5 gigahertz is, of course, a frequency range. 5G just stands for fifth generation. And this this uh, differentiation between this 5 gigahertz and 5G is actually a pretty good segue into more of the nuts and bolts of what 5G is. So any sort of cell phone signal is going to be based on some sort of electromagnetic radiation, right? And radiation is a scary word, but all that means is that it's coming out in some sort of wave format. It's an electromagnetic waves. And most of us, I think, have been exposed to this idea of this electromagnetic spectrum in, I don't know, high school, yeah, physics school, class, science class, yeah. Yeah, yeah, things like that. And so there's a spectrum, right, of the wavelength and corresponding frequency and then the corresponding energy at different points on this spectrum. So we go from basically low energy radio frequencies where the wavelengths are super high, meaning that the if you, if you think about it just like a wave, the crest or the top part of the amplitude of that wave, the distance between two identical crests is very long. And then we go up to microwaves and then eventually to visible light that our eye can see and creates colors and that sort of thing. So that's visible light. Light is just a form of electromagnetic radiation. And then we move up to ultraviolet, x-rays, and gamma rays. So x-rays enable medical imagers like uh, us in the future to yeah, yeah, yeah. you know see what's going on inside people's bodies. Ultraviolet radiation, um, the, we deal with that from the sun. So there's UVA, UVB, UVC. I'll get into this in a little bit when we're discussing the health consequences, but essentially this is a, a higher energy form of electromagnetic radiation where the wavelengths are shorter. So the distance between crests on a wave is shorter. Now, when we get to the distance between the crests on a wave being shorter, that means the frequency is higher. The amount of times that a identical crest on that wave passes a given point in space per unit of time. So hertz is the amount of time that these crests pass a given point per second. And so this five gigahertz Wi-Fi signal means that we've got five... I think it's five gigahertz. million. What is that? Yeah, five million. Five million. Yep. Okay. So five million times a second, the top part of this wave, the crest of this wave, is passing a given point in space. 4G is usually between one and two gigahertz. Now, with 5G, we start to get up between 30 and 300 gigahertz. Sorry, I was actually just Googling um, giga, and I think it's actually one, two, three, four, five, six. I think it's actually a billion times. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we were wrong there. But <laughs> anyway, uh, so the, the wave passes five billion you know, you get it. The thing with 5G is that we move from this 1 to 2-ish, 1 to 5-ish gigahertz of 4G technology, and we go up between, they've kind of opened this band range, Yeah. between 30-ish and 300 gigahertz. Well, first of all, great summary of, of the physics of, of the electromagnetic spectrum, and, and I think the, this, this kind of lays a great foundation so that we can you know, talk about the rest of this technology and have it have it make sense. So we're basically splitting up the the usable spectrum for transmission of cellular information into into three components. You have the the low band, the mid band, and the high band. And, and the high band is kind of what we're going to be focusing mostly on in our discussion of of five G tech. The the high band is is what Evan was re referring to, and and it's kind of between the the thirty and three hundred gigahertz range. Um, but the the really useful chunk of, of that spectrum is actually between you know twenty four to to hundred gigahertz. It kind of depends who you ask, who's who's creating the definition. But that's that's generally the 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 part of the spectrum that we're referring to when we talk about high band. You also may have heard the term millimeter wave uh, frequency uh, when when being used to describe this this type of spectrum. And and in comparison to um, the the mid the mid band and, and the low band, this high band or millimeter wave is much higher frequency and therefore enables much higher throughput of, of data, way higher bandwidth, because the, the higher frequency enables you to transmit more, more data per second, essentially. Right. So let me kind of give an illustrative example of that. Yeah, so, please. you know, the difference between a DVD player and a Blu-ray player is essentially the frequency or wavelength of the beam of light 
that is reading that disc. So a DVD player kind of uses a, a red beam of light. And because of that, if you think about the spectrum of visible light, the frequency of the red wavelength is lower. So the amount of times you can transmit information per second, for instance, with a, with a lower frequency, is lower. The reason we get higher resolution out of a Blu-ray is because the blue wavelength of light is a higher frequency, higher energy um, uh, wavelength that allows for more energy transmission. So that's the deal here. We're using shorter wavelengths, what used to be 14, 15 centimeters long with 4G. Now we're down to these millimeter waves that Andrew just told us about, where the frequency is much higher, the energy is much higher, and we can transmit much more information with them. Yeah, well, well said. And and so initially, the 4G tech and, and Wi-Fi and everything... All of that was kind of in, inside of the, the mid-band, which is the 1 gigahertz to 6 gigahertz uh, band or, or part of the spectrum. So, so obviously the, the natural question is, if we already knew many years ago that higher frequency <laughs> meant that you could transmit more data more quickly, then why didn't we just use high band from the beginning? I don't know the answer to that, Andrew. Why don't you tell let's, me? Let's talk about it, Evan. Absolutely. So, so there's a couple of, couple of reasons why... Um, high band has been difficult to utilize for data transmission. First of all, when we're talking about this high band, the millimeter wave spectrum, the the benefits uh, we've already mentioned. You can transmit more data more quickly. So you can download stuff to your phone more quickly. You can watch videos more quickly with less buffering, et cetera. The problem is that these higher frequency components of the spectrum require a ton of energy uh, in order to transmit, and they don't travel as far as electromagnetic waves lower down in the spectrum, right? So, so the, the the initial challenge is the distance that these radio waves can be transmitted is is much lower because they're so tiny. They also can't penetrate objects. They can't penetrate mm -hmm. even even a door, uh, right? We are all used to being able to um, transmit Wi-Fi signals from down in our basement, right where the where the Wi-Fi router is, all the way up to the second floor through multiple walls and ceilings and stuff. Um, without much without much issue. But the problem is that these higher frequency, high band millimeter wave spectrum, um, they, they can't penetrate things. Let me give the listeners something they can kind of grab onto here. Yeah, so yeah. when you hear your annoying neighbor with the two 14-inch subwoofers in the back of his car pull into his house, you hear his thumping bass, right? That yeah. can come all the way into your house. It's a lower frequency. In this case, we're dealing with sound, you know, but it's it's a similar example, right? So you can have that lower frequency energy transmit through the walls of your house all the way. And so you hear the ba bass components of whatever crap music he's listening to, but you don't hear the <laughs> vocals, you don't hear the instrumentation, any cymbals, anything like that. You don't hear these higher frequency sounds because they don't penetrate the walls and go into your house to where you can hear them. Yeah, so we, we've kind of laid the foundation talking about the physics behind um, this 5G tech and the spectrum and all that stuff. But there, there are a couple of technologies that kind of define what 5G is. Uh, we've talked about millimeter wave and, and how that contributes to what 5G is, but there, there are a few others. Um, MIMO, which we'll, we'll talk about, beam forming, full duplex, and adaptive beam switching, uh, in addition to this, uh, the small cell technology. We'll, we'll talk about all these things, but just kind of wanted to, to throw this out there so you have a little mental picture of what we'll be discussing. So this first one, MIMO, which stands for multiple input, multiple output, allows each cell phone to have multiple simultaneous uh, parallel connections with the nearest cell phone tower. So rather than just having one connection with the cell tower and being limited in, in bandwidth to that, that one connection. By having multiple parallel connections, you can increase your bandwidth. So this is what makes download speeds, this is one of the things that makes download speeds so much so much faster um, and upload speeds as well with, with 5G. The second is, the second technology that we'll talk about is called beamforming. So, so beamforming is what enables the cell towers to essentially establish a map of where each handset is in space and focus their the radio frequency directly at that that cell phone and, and this is this is a technology that's not currently used in 4g but in 5g it, it'll enable the way that it works is 
the the cell tower will use destructive and constructive interference of the electromagnetic electromagnetic waves to direct the cell signal directly at, at the phone itself. So this is a little bit hard to, to describe verbally, but but if you've ever seen waves on opposite ends of a pond uh, that are, are rippling toward each other, when when they reach each other, when 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 two waves that are at their their peak reach each other, they have an additive effect where they, they kind of get, get bigger. Whereas waves that might reach each other where one is at its crest and the other at, is at its trough, they kind of cancel each other out. So essentially you can use that, that property of waves to direct where, where the, the wave uh, is, is strongest. And, and we had talked recently or earlier in this, this episode about how one of, the, one of the challenges of millimeter wave technology especially is that there's a ton of interference between all of the electromagnetic waves. So if the, the ability to direct these waves specifically at a, a cell phone or a handset um, is, is really crucial. Uh, and then Evan, the next one was going to be full duplex. And I'll, I'll let you describe this one. Yeah. So the full duplex is really cool because it kind of reduces the latency of communication closer and closer to zero. So right now, the tower that you're communicating, let's say, whatever device is on that tower that's emitting radio frequency uh, energy so that you can get this cell signal, it can kind of either act as an emitter or receiver, right? But it can only do one at a time in the same area. So if a wave is taking up whatever lane, let's say, in space, if a, if a wave is traveling through space to your phone, it can kind of only be traveling in one direction at a time without encountering those either additive or uh, cancellation type effects that Andrew was just talking about. So because of that, the emitter source of the wave, the source emitting the wave, can either act as an emitter or a receiver, like I said. Now what that means is you are not actually communicating with the tower um, or the digital world in real time, so to speak. You are only, it's only receiving information from your phone every time that the tower is switched to receive, and it's only emitting information, giving information to your phone at times when the tower is set to uh, emit radiation. So the thing with full duplex is that the 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 kind of cycle between emitting and receiving information is much reduced. Um, so the latency of communication is reduced. You are, and this is a huge concept with 5G, this latency of communication is reduced because your phone and tower are able to uh, switch between emitting and receiving information much, much faster. And this has huge consequences for the future, this low latency that we can get into, of course, in, in just a little bit. But yeah, so we've got, we've talked about, what have we talked about? This massively, uh, sorry, multiple in, multiple out uh, MIMO technology that increases frequency. You, you took us through bean forming. It was a great explanation of how this additive or cancellation type effect can, can um, direct waves. And one thing I just wanted to add there is that this, this works by keeping track of the direction that the cell signal kind of from your phone or the signal coming from your phone is coming into the device. So this can happen around corners to some extent. These waves are still going to bounce around corners. We said they don't travel through brick walls or really any type of wall, a wood wall, but they can still nothing. bounce across. Yeah, they can still bounce around corners and things like that to some extent. So assuming there is some sort of reflective source. So that's, this means that they don't have to necessarily have a straight path to your phone, although that is, of course, the fastest data speed. But just mm -hmm. by tracking the direction of incoming signals from your phone, they can just beam stuff out in that same direction, and it'll just naturally reflect back to wherever your phone emitted it from, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then we went through full duplex. And then Andrew's going to take us through the last one. Yeah, the very last one, it's a pretty quick one. This is adaptive beam switching. So as Evan just helpfully talked about, the, the challenge with, and actually we've mentioned this several times, millimeter wave tech, which is going to be a really big part of the 5G rollout, um, the, these signals do not travel very far, and they don't go through walls. So 
5, 5G, one, one of the things that's gonna make 5G reliable is the ability of cell phones to switch between multiple frequencies very quickly, to at times be able to use that millimeter wave uh, frequency to get really high uh, bandwidth, really fast downloads, really fast uploads. But then maybe when you step inside of a building, your phone will switch to more of a 4G speeds, which are a little bit slower, but still reasonable uh, because they'll be using primarily mid-band spectrum, which can penetrate walls and go go a little bit farther. So the cell phone providers haven't needed to develop um, or use technology that that allows cell phones to use a, a wide variety, a, a wide range of of the spectrum, trans uh, and and can switch very quickly between high band, mid band, even even some low band, um, and and so this is what's going to make 5G reliable. If we were only relying on millimeter wave technology, it would it would honestly be a pretty huge step backwards because you just w- mm-hmm. you wouldn't have reliable coverage because you'd have to be so close within uh, a few dozen meters uh, in in some cases of of those those cell towers um, which we're, we'll get into uh, talking what those what those look like and what some of the differences are so I really just want to first of all just take a moment and and stop because I, I don't really think I realized a couple of years ago when people starting started talking about 5G i just assumed that they were just going to replace all of the the cell towers that were out there with 5G cell towers and it was essentially going to operate the same as the transition from 2G to 3G 3G to 4G because for for each of those transitions the tech was essentially the same you just got faster data right the problem is with with 5G there are some really severe limitations Again, the the signals don't pass through walls, and they they don't travel very far. And so the the cell phone operators are going to have to rely on different parts of the spectrum. They're kind of supplementing the the current spectrum that they're using with with four G. They're supplementing that with the millimeter wave high band frequency spectrum. So let's get into some of these limitations. We've talked about the fact that it doesn't travel very far. The fact that these small wavelengths are easily stopped by walls. And, and you know, these signals can even be slowed by rain. So it's not like, like Andrew said, it's not going to replace anything because that presents a lack of reliability. So the issue that this brings up is, okay, so these waves can't travel very far. So how do we get the signal to people? And this is where the concept of small cells come in. And, and you know, that's They've given it a, a dedicated term, but all that really means is that there are literally small deployable cell towers that are literally going to be everywhere. So, you know, if the signal can transmit from 4G, maybe if miles, right? Um, 5G can make it maybe 300 meters. And in a city, it can make it even less because as you could imagine, it's not going to make it through the buildings in a dense downtown area. So you might see a 5G tower at one block, then the next block, another 5G emission source. And then once you get into the building, there might be smaller 5G emission sources uh, throughout the building on different floors in people's offices, this sort of deal. And even on the highway system, imagine trying to drive super quick on the highway where the cell phone tower that you're connected to is only good for the next 200 meters. So they've got to have one on every highway lamp they're going to be everywhere. Well, imagine your college campus just completely transformed with these, what are now pretty ugly, yeah, 5G yeah. emission sources. And I'm, this is one thing I wanted to talk about. Like, if these things are going to be everywhere, I think they need to have some responsibility for designing them in some sort of uh, pleasant, aesthetic way. Yeah, yeah, because uh, these are a lot smaller than the cell towers that we're used to seeing. Cell towers now mm-hmm. have these really big, like white posts that are you know multiple meters tall. But these these smaller cell towers or or boxes that that Evans describing these nodes are probably just a few feet um, across um, for mm-hmm. for for five G. So they're going to look a little bit different. Right now they're pretty ugly, but I agree. I think they are going to need to be everywhere. They're going to be inside. So I, I think this will be an opportunity to um, develop them in a in a way that's conscientious of of those of us who, who live out in the world and, and don't want to see these ugly boxes all over the place because we're, we're going to need a lot of them. And and I do, I do want to uh, quote a Verizon representative just to drive home this point of how many are going to be needed. So Verizon and AT&T, I think they're the only two providers right now, they're rolling out 5G service in football stadiums. But Verizon says, uh, Verizon 5G ultra-wideband service will be available in areas of 13 stadiums. Service will be concentrated in parts of the seating areas, 
but could could be available <laughs> in other locations in and around the same as well. They are literally not even able to promise that they can cover an entire football stadium yeah. with coverage because of how many nodes they're going to need and 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 the um, the limitations of of millimeter wave. Wow. So I think it's kind of nuts. And I I, I think AT and T is only covering the um, the AT and T Stadium, which is where where my uh, where my Cowboys play. Just just wanted to throw that oh, out there. Uh-huh. But anyway, so just kind of kind of interesting. Um, and and drives on that point. Yeah. So you brought up these football stadiums. That that brings up another thing I actually wanted to mention. So one of 4G's limitations is that it can't handle a super concentrated number of devices. So a, a high number of devices in a small area. So I would run into this all the time at Ohio State games. I went to Ohio State for undergrad. There's sometimes 107, 110-ish thousand people packed inside of a stadium. And um, I think most people have probably experienced this similar scenario. You're in a super concentrated area, and then all of a sudden, it'll say four bars of 4G LTE, but you can't actually load anything. The signal cannot handle that number of people in that small of an area. This is actually a strength of 5G because it's a smaller wavelength. The nature of 5G technology is that it's it can handle super concentrated areas. And so for places like stadiums, it's actually perfect, um, although they apparently can't cover the entire stadium. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they could if they put enough <laughs> nodes up and stuff, right. but it's just a matter of like, do you really want to install 100 nodes in this place just to cover a stadium that has games, you know, once a week and it's more of a half the year. Right. And at this point it's kind of more of a publicity stunt. They're trying to drum up support for, for 5g tech and we'll get into some of the politics here in in just a bit, but, but yeah, it it would be um, pretty expensive to, to cover an entire stadium at at this point. And I think the tech will, will probably end up getting a little bit cheaper. So before we move on and discuss the future implications of this technology and some things that Evan and I are excited about and some stuff that we're a little bit wary of, I wanted to mention one other potential potential concern right now for the, the rollout and development of 5G tech. And this is kind of unique to the US itself and, and to North America. There are two governing bodies, the FCC and the NTIA, that auction off Spectrum to be used either by government organizations or private companies. And so Spectrum, we we tend to think about Spectrum as, as being an unlimited resource, but it's actually not. It's limited in the same ways that land is limited. And so there are these governing bodies that keep track of and control um, who has access to and who can use different parts of the Spectrum. So the FCC uh, provides auctions or they auction off different parts of the Spectrum to private companies like AT&T and Verizon and T-Mobile who bid on different parts of the spectrum every few years to to purchase more of it so they can uh, roll out more of their more of their networks. One of the one of the problems right now is that a lot of the mid-band spectrum which will be used in 5G and the the high band uh, spectrum that millimeter wave which is going to be so crucial to the uh, supporting those high high bandwidth applications of of 5G have not yet been auctioned off. And, and so the FCC is, is trying to expedite the process of auctioning off the, the different parts of these spectrum. One of, one of the problems is that the Department of Defense, the NOAA, and NASA, these government organizations, already hold claim to a lot of the mid-band and even some, some high-band um, spectrum. And so this, this makes it mm. difficult for private companies to, to roll it out. And so uh, one, one of the things that the FCC is doing right now is they're, they're putting forth a, a plan to expedite the process of, of auctioning off some of these different parts of the spectrum. But sometimes this can take a number of years. So yeah, so th- this, this is kind of delaying the, the rollout. Now, now, the reason that I say that this is just a concern for the U.S. is because there is this unique private and government separation. Whereas in other parts of the world, like in China, China has actually just come out and said, hey, we're going to develop a, a public 5G network and weird, and the government is essentially going to support the development of it. They're going to kind of take over the, the entire process. So there aren't going to be all these individual auctions. There isn't going to be discussion between private and public and bidding and all this stuff. The government had just said, hey, we think this is important. We're going to, we're going to do it. And so that's what a lot of people are kind of concerned about is that China is going to be the, the leader in, in the rollout of 5G. And, and there are some unique reasons as to why that is important, which we'll, we'll get into in, in, our, in our discussion coming up. But I just wanted to talk a little bit about 
um, how bidding auctioning works, that there's the FCC, which controls auctions for private companies. These mm-hmm. private companies are saying, hey, we really want to roll out 5G, but the FCC is kind of dragging their heels, especially in the auctioning of this, this mid-band um, area. Um, mm, and, and, so, and so they're kind of competing with government organizations like the DOD and, and NASA. So Yeah, so if you like to live in a communist country, you might have 5G quicker. You you might one of one of the few one of the few advantages. <laughs> one of the advantages. You just uh, deal with the smog and the potential mm-hmm. lung cancer and but hey, you will have 5G. Yes. You'll be able to download an entire season of Stranger Things in like 20 as, seconds. As you're stepping onto the plane, which I've tried to do before. I actually tried to download like an entire Netflix season of something. I forget what it was and uh, the plane took off before it finished. That was a time when I wish I That's had. always sad. Yeah, that actually yeah. happened to me last weekend, but yeah, it's rough. We won't get into that. No, we won't. Anywho, I, I I also kind of wanted to get into the the potential health consequences or lack thereof, and this whole you know maybe conspiracy type situation, maybe not about five uh, G and its health consequences. So let me let me kind of brief you on what's going on here. So. The argument is that uh, that this electromagnetic radiation that is kind of bathing us all the time with cell phone signals, Wi-Fi signals, all this stuff, that this radiation, these waves, is somehow harmful to us. It's, it's detrimental to our health. And the argument is that, yeah, we've already got these 4G signals, but now we're moving up to 5G. It's a higher energy signal. You know, we were at one to two gigahertz. Now we're up to like 100 gigahertz. And so that's higher energy. That's got to be harming our health. And there haven't been enough studies to say that 5G is safe. This is a, you know, the, the telecom companies are lobbying the government to say that, oh, it's no big deal. And, uh, you know, my, my thesis statement here is that that is um, not true. <laughs> Let me take you through this. So the electromagnetic spectrum, we talked about it earlier. The microwaves, radio frequency waves, the whole part of the spectrum where cell phone signals exist is actually lower energy than visible light. So on the electromagnetic spectrum, there are also kind of species of non-ionizing radiation and ionizing radiation. I know that the term radiation is scary, but it shouldn't be. It's just a, a term to say, hey, these electromagnetic waves are emitted. And so the, the part of uh, the spectrum where this electromagnetic radiation exists is what determines whether it's kind of harmful to us or not. And so visible light is, of course, non-ionizing. Non-ionizing means that it does not uh, react with the atoms in your body to create ions. Whereas things like ultraviolet radiation, uh, X-rays, gamma rays are ionizing. So what that means is uh, I actually worked in a skin cancer research lab. So we did a lot of this work. And so coming from the sun, there's UVA, UVB, and UVC. Most of the UVC, ultraviolet radiation C, is filtered out by the atmosphere. So what gets to us is UVA and UVB. And these types of radiation are so high energy that then when they hit your skin, they, at the level of DNA, cause two adjacent base pairs on the DNA kind of spiral ladder structure. I'm sure most people have seen that. Causes two adjacent base pairs to create a little bond. So it kind of breaks the normal structure of the ladder. And then when the DNA uh, is being replicated, it messes with that replication cycle. And you end up with a mutation in a part of your DNA. And if that mutation is in a part of your DNA that is important for regulating the cell cycle, for instance, you can have an unregulated multiplication of cells that leads to cancer. Everyone's familiar with a sunburn, and this is just an inflammatory response by your immune system from this damage done to the cells from this ultraviolet radiation. So everything I just described sounds really bad, right? And it is, okay? Skin cancer is the most common cancer in the world. However, this is at the level of ionizing radiation. Below this, um, the, the, the electromagnetic spectrum does not have enough energy to ionize individual atoms. It does not cause these sorts of health consequences. It really just causes thermal effects. So microwaves, for instance, uh, literally the, the appliance in your kitchen is what I'm talking about. A microwave uses microwaves to 
vibrate water molecules super quick and cause an increase in thermal energy, which warms up your food. Microwaves, radio frequency waves, cell waves are all below the level of visible light in terms of energy on the electromagnetic spectrum. So these people that are worried about cell phone signals somehow you know, giving us cancer and all these things, causing gliomas, brain cancers, um, they, they don't have a lot to go on. There are a few studies that may show, there, there's like a dozen or so studies that may show a slight link, but there are you know, a thousand other studies that show there's no link. And if you think about being in your house, um, the energy from cell phone signals is a lot less than the energy being emitted uh, onto me from the light bulbs that are above me right now. So it's really just not enough energy. And, and if there was enough energy to start kind of harming your cells from non-ionizing radiation, it would just be thermal damage. And that's certainly something that you would feel. You would just feel yourself kind of cooking. <laughs> so there's not a lot of credibility to the argument at this point that says non-ionizing radiation, this 5G, 4G, any sort of cell phone signal is dangerous to us. And if you look at the number of brain tumors, everyone's like, oh, cell phones cause brain cancer, everyone's got them close to their head, all this kind of stuff. If you look at the number of brain tumors over the past you know, 30 years, it has not gone up. There's been no statistically significant change in the amount of brain tumors over the, you know, over the time that cell phones have existed. Yeah, Evan, that is a, a fantastic description of the concerns and why they're unfounded with regard to 5G. I, a little rant there, no, mid-podcast no, rant. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it because I, I just have never really understood why folks are concerned about electromagnetic waves that are not ionizing causing cancer, right? That's just not, that's not, not how it happens, right? You have to have a very high frequency wave uh, to be mm-hmm. able to knock off an electron and create an ion and cause those other changes to, to the DNA as you, as you were referring to. And, and that just does not happen with, uh, with the types of waves that, that we're talking about. I had read online some folks who are concerned, and I, I think there are some places in Europe that have at least slowed the rollout of 5G, I think in Switzerland maybe, because of concerns for um, unknown health effects, uh, maybe oh, okay. causing causing headaches and, and things like that. But um, I, you know, there there isn't any data to say that these would have those kinds of health effects. I, so I think I think we should be clear: there there is no data that would suggest that this would cause cancer, right? And I think Evan laid out some great uh, great points there. Would these cause other health effects? Mm, I, I don't I don't know that we can say that for sure. Perhaps perhaps it, it would be helpful to to do some studies to and 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 I, I don't anticipate that there will be any health uh, health concerns here, uh, but it might be helpful to do some studies to see if these 5G signals would would cause any any other kind of changes, non-cancerous changes to the, to the human body. Uh, but I suspect that this wouldn't be the case because very little energy is being admitted from these these cell phones and these cell towers uh, to cause any kind of um, physiologic change. Definitely. And one of the things that people that are kind of afraid of these technologies point to is this report by a, a sub subcommittee of the WHO that looks at the research on cancer called the IARC. And basically what this report that they put out said is, you know, they, they basically take um, a bunch of different potential health risks and classify them based on the risk of carcinogenesis or the the production of cancerous cells. And their report, if you look, if you just type in radio frequency on their website, the report says possibly carcinogenic. And so that got a lot of people up in arms. And it's, it's a data point that a lot of people that are not... Um, that are a little bit afraid of this technology in terms of health consequences, that they always point to that data point. This is, however, just a, a pretty large miscommunication. Uh, this, is, this is where we get a mismatch between the communication of the scientific community and the communication of kind of layman's terms, right? So they said possibly carcinogenic. They did not say probably carcinogenic. And they also did not say definitely not carcinogenic. They just, there's not enough data either way to really say for sure whether or not it's carcinogenic. And so they're not able to say uh, anything else other than possibly carcinogenic. They can't 
say it's not carcinogenic and then come back and say, oh, no, we messed up. That, that's not a good look, right? right so they've right. got to kind of classify it as possibly carcinogenic just because there haven't been a lot of studies. And I, I do want to be clear. The studies that have been done, the vast majority of them show no link between this radio frequency um, uh, electromagnetic radiation and cancer. Yeah. So for now, uh, I am not concerned about <laughs> 5G causing... Uh, any any health changes for me, and uh, but I, I do look forward to continuing to follow uh, the data that comes out about it. So yeah, now now we've kind of covered the the health concerns. Let's let's talk about some of the future uh, concerns and benefits of of five G. So one of the big things we've kind of touched on this throughout this podcast are. The, the, the benefit of 5G in providing faster data speed. So you can download things quicker, so you can upload things quicker, uh, watch videos without buffering, do FaceTime on the go, other, other things like that. So the, the, uh, a few years ago, there was an organization that published the specifications or the, the target specifications for 5G. And they said that the, the target uh, you know, theoretical peak download speed should be about 20 gigabits per second. Wow. Now that is like really, really fast. Uh, they also said that, that they also said that th- it should have a latency. The latency goal should be one to four milliseconds and that's air latency. So latency from device to, you know, your handheld device to, to the, the cell tower. So again, one to four milliseconds, 20 gigabits per second download, 10 gigabits per second upload. That, that is nuts. Now, that was a few years ago before the rollout of any 5G technology. So what has what has happened in in real life is is that we're seeing on Verizon in Chicago, you can get about 1.1 gigabits per second as as your download speed hmm. uh, presently in 2019, which is not bad. But but that's your max speed, probably in best conditions when you can almost touch the, the that node, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, or you can at least see it. You can at like least see it. There's a clear path of the of the waves. Exactly. Exactly. Now, the what I think is more important are the median speeds. And so these have been measured on AT&T to be 250 megabits per second. So that's about a quarter of a gigabit per second. 123 megabits per second on Sprint, 20 on T-Mobile, uh, and 144 uh, on Verizon. So that, that's the median speed. So I think we have a long way to go uh, before we, we reach those, those peak speeds. And then where, where we're at on the, the latency discussion, uh, currently, latency has been measured between eight and twelve uh, milliseconds, as opposed to what was proposed in those specifications b- between one and and four milliseconds. So we haven't quite reached th- that um, those those lofty goals that were set a few years ago. But Evan, what are what are a few of the things that you think might take advantage of these high data speeds and and low latency that that's been promised by five G? Well, I think, you know, the, the possibilities are basically endless, uh, like a lot of new technologies. I, I think it's important to point out that, yes, this is in some ways an incremental innovation, right? It is kind of something that we already have, this wireless communication between handheld devices and other things, and that allows for wireless information transfer. But it is such an increase in speed that it's really more revolutionary than incremental. The things that this level of increased speed will allow, assuming you know it, it kind of reaches its full potential, maybe not to 20 uh, gigabits per second, but That's you know, even just 10 is, is huge, the things that this will allow. So a couple that I thought of, um, first of all, I, I'm a big fan of VR. I think that's no secret to uh, people that know me. And the did we do like a whole podcast or two on VR? Yeah, I think. Oh, I think yeah, the I think know. we did way back when. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd like yeah. to go back and listen to those podcasts and just see yeah. how uh, substandard they are at this point. Oh yeah, I, I'm not sure I would want to put myself through that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but if you're listening to this, you should totally go, go back and listen. Go, go to back those. and listen. Yeah, but anyway, so I, I'm a big fan of VR. the The thing that I think will um, the application to 5G or uh, of 5G to VR is really in being able to wirelessly stream data to the virtual reality headset. You know, my headset right now requires a, um, you know, a cable to my computer. Uh, but if you could get to the point where you could wirelessly connect the virtual reality device to the internet, you would with 5G, you would be able to create a very high definition 360 degree picture. 
So that's a lot of data to transmit. That's, it's, you know, you've got to, if you want to match like human eye resolution, especially, that's, that's a ton of data. It's not just rendering some 8K frame on a computer screen or a TV in front of you. You've got to render that same resolution essentially, but the entire field of view around you kind of horizontally and then up and down vertically so that you can have this immersive environment. And although you might ha- might not have to render all of that information, um, you could render it kind of just based on where you're looking so you don't have to waste that much computer power, you still have to transmit all of the available information from the 5G network. And, and, and 5G speeds are what's going to enable this. So I'm super excited for that, that application. And then another thing, just kind of wrapped up within that, really any sort of high-resolution streaming, super high-resolution streaming, 8K streaming, that sort of thing, uh, has the potential to take advantage of this. Although in terms of handheld devices, I'm not sure we need 8K streaming to a cell phone or anything like that. But Pro- Probably not, but I mean, I, I think there may have been a time when I said I don't need to stream 1080p YouTube videos to my phone, but now I kind of expect it, right? Mm-hmm. So so that, that could change. One of the things that I'm really excited about are the applications of 5G tech to AI. Mm. And and I, I will have to I will have to explain this. So this is just kind of throwing a couple of different buzzwords into into one sentence, but but this actually does make sense. So AI, we, we did a, an episode on AI, and the way that computers learn is by being fed a lot of data and then kind of seeing statistical significances in that data, right? One of the ways that you can create data is by measuring it out in the world with a bunch of different devices. So as we've talked about, one of the advantages of 5G tech is that you can have an order of magnitude more devices connected to each node than than you could with normal 4G cell towers. So this this actually goes back to our political discussion regarding why why it's um, not in the U.S.'s interest for China or another company or another another country, I should say, uh, to to be the leader in, in the 5G rollout. If if China or the U.S is able to roll out a 5G network and start gathering tons and tons of data from tons of different devices, both with low latency and high high bandwidth. This will enable faster development of deep learning models, uh, which will enable the development of, of AI uh, more generally. So I'm, I'm not necessarily giving like a specific example there, but that's just kind of generally how AI works. And that's, that's why most folks are concerned of or have concern about another country developing 5G tech before the U.S. would. So AI, I, I hadn't initially thought of that as being um, uh, connected to 5G. I thought folks were just kind of making that up, but but I can kind of see that that connection now. So so that's one of the things. One of the, one of the things that people keep bringing up is that they think that 5G is going to be super helpful for self-driving cars. And I have to be honest that I don't really understand why they think that that's going to be super helpful. We, we actually talked about this in our, in our self-driving car podcast, I think, uh, a, a while back. One of the ways that people thought that self-driving car tech could be rolled out is that you would have direct communication from car to car kind of live as, as they're driving. But what we've seen is that most cars are independent, right? They they have a bunch of cameras on them. They have a, a very high-powered computer on board that's able to process the data about the world around them. And using pre-developed deep learning algorithms, they're able to perceive what's going on in the world around them. So there's very little need for live data to be transmitted to the car for the sake of that, that self-driving. The, the times that AI is being used or a car is the self-driving cars are communicating with the network are typically at the end of a day when they're uploading their data to the cloud. Um, and, and then from there, the company this is actually typically Tesla, I think right now that, that that's doing this, they're able to, to take data from all of these different cars that's been uploaded, rerun them through their deep learning algorithms, and then make and then push out these updates maybe a month later, a few months later, so that all of their cars develop a, uh, a better ability to see the world and, and understand the world around them. So in that scenario, it doesn't really seem like there would be any advantage to having super high high bandwidth or low latency connections. I, I just don't really see it. Even Internet of Things devices, those typically communicate with the internet 
in terms of like kilobits per second, right? Little little things that are like measuring data about the world around them. Uh, you know, you're you're not really needing the the bandwidth that, that you would get with five G. So I, I haven't really seen um, why that would be why that'd be terribly helpful. I, I think the vision for yeah that sort of hive mind mentality of cars where cars can can connect and they know where every other car on the road is at that time. Um, yeah, that's kind of a new level of driving. You know, that that's when we start getting into into things like there might not have to be stoplights because the cars know where each other are and they can just perfectly time going through an intersection uh, and not hit each other, that sort of thing. And so the thought here with 5G is that what we were talking about earlier with the latency, um, now we're getting into that. So the latency of 4G means that the communication is not actually happening in real time. So let's say um, the car is trying to tell the cell tower, hey, I'm here right now. If the cell tower is not in that sort of reception of data mode and it's emitting data to the car, the car has to essentially wait to transmit its location to the cell tower until the um, the cell tower is in the mode to accept that data. And of course, that's on the order of milliseconds. But when you're talking about moving at 70 miles an hour and there's people's lives on the line, you want real-time communication, kind of instant. I am exactly here at this point. So this low-latency communication uh, that, that 5G affords, people are thinking that that will help with this sort of hive mind architecture of driving. But yeah, I think we are kind of far off from that at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah, I see a Tesla almost every day on the road, but the vast majority of people I know who own Teslas, I actually know a few at this point, none of them actually bought the full autopilot package. And so we're, we, you know, we still need to get a lot more cars on the road with, with like level four, level five self-driving before we start worrying about creating this hive mind architecture. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 I see the potential for it if you understand this, the, the, the architecture they're going for with, with cars being interconnected, kind of operating from the same mind, if you will. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a long way off and not a really relevant uh, thing to bring up in the conversation of 5G over the next you know, 10 years or so. Um, I can, however, see it being helpful if we ever get to a point where we have these kind of personal aerial transportation vehicles. So I did a blog post on this a while back. And, you know, programs like Uber Elevate and things like that, where we have these small vehicles, autonomous vehicles, where you can get in kind of like helicopters, only most of them have four rotors, some have 17 rotors, that sort of deal, where it's a quadcopter and you can fly through the city uh, rooftop to rooftop rather than... Um, driving, you know, one of the things that makes this convenient now where trying to buy a helicopter, every helicopter in every garage didn't work before was that they can be autonomous. People don't really have to train to fly. And so that might happen. And in that case, when you're dealing with aerial transportation, it's important to know where all of the other planes are because you're moving at much higher speeds. You've got to navigate not just two dimensions, but the third dimension of, okay, how high in the air am I? If you think about it like an air traffic controller, in their specific area, they know where all the planes are, and they very carefully dictate the traffic in and out of that area. So this sort of hive mind architecture afforded by low latency 5G technology might be handy there. But again, that's a, that's a good ways off, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think those are, those are really helpful potential applications. And I think you um, also elucidated some of the, the the downsides there as well. I, I I'm going to give another answer for a future application of of 5G that's kind of a cop out, and I'm going to say that it is advantageous to develop better data infrastructure, better IT infrastructure, so that things can be built on top of it that have not yet been thought of. Right. Right. So if we think about Snapchat, if we think about a bunch of the apps that we use on our phone, they would have made no sense in in a world before 3G networks were available, right. before 2G networks were available, you know, essentially before an iPhone was available, because there would have been no way to reliably and quickly transmit a photo or a video from one phone to another through something like Snapchat. So Snapchat came about because the infrastructure was there. So I'm excited to see what types of applications 
developers will create on top of 5G tech that will take advantage of those faster data speeds that are available on the go and not just at a at a desktop, at a laptop, something like that. So again, kind of a cop-out answer because I'm, I'm really not saying anything, but but I think <laughs> developing the developing the infrastructure will, will enable some uh, some advancement that we haven't yet thought of. And, and, and another important thing to realize is that these 5G speeds are indeed faster than our internet. They're faster than our home Wi-Fi, right? 10 yeah. gigabits per second, if we can get there, much faster than... I think I'm at 100 megabits per second, which is pretty good. You know, that's, that's yeah, up that's there solid. in terms of the plans you can get. 5G would enable, it's 100 times faster, right? 10 gigabits per second would be. Yeah, essentially. I mean, the goal is one gigabit per second to, to each device. I think that's what most of the cell phone providers are kind of aiming for right now, okay. but they're not even getting close. They're about a quarter of that speed, essially. Uh, okay. Right. Which is still well, really fast, we, right? In the, in the 250s and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So even if we don't reach the full potential and we just get to this one gigabit per second, it's 10 times faster than my home internet speed. And we have this low latency communication that I mentioned. So I, I'm actually excited for its use in this cloud-based video gaming where people don't have to own uh, gaming computers. They can kind of subscribe to a subscription. Uh, oh, yeah, That's yeah, pretty yeah. redundant. That is a redundant statement, subscribing to a subscription. Anyway, <laughs> the... Um, <laughs> yeah, they can they can basically game on, uh, you know, possibly an iPad in the future, a a MacBook, a a HP laptop that they would just use normally for writing Word documents in college, that sort of thing, because mm-hmm. the computing power exists on servers somewhere, and then the game experience is basically piped in through the internet. I actually got uh, so it's called GeForce now. They they had like an invite program where you could test out their cloud based video gaming, and so I, I got into that um, and tried it out. And honestly, in the first 10 minutes of trying it out, I was playing Fallout 4, and it, it just wasn't really usable. The, the latency is certainly better in some parts of the countries than others, but still, I, I was in kind of one of the better parts of the country testing it out. And it wasn't that great. It was, you know, you make a movement on the video game, and then maybe half a second later something happens. And half a second obviously doesn't sound like a lot of time, but when you're used to interacting with a game console very naturally and everything happens seemingly in real time, you make a movement on the controller and it happens on the screen, that half a second really disconnects you from the experience. And so if we can get to a point where we have these faster data speeds afforded by 5G, uh, I'm actually pretty excited for that. I think that that would be fun. Yeah, and I think you you raised just like a generally good point that 5G and and higher bandwidth connections will enable more more of us to rely on information in the cloud and on big very very powerful computers very powerful servers that will enable us to do things that we can't do on our cell phone on our laptop even um, so I think that's that's pretty exciting there is something though that I had hoped that 5g was going to enable which was enabling rural communities to access the internet at at high speeds right mm. currently in the United States, a lot of people still rely on either very expensive satellite connections to get uh, high high bandwidth internet connections, or they rely on dial-up internet, which no is just way. my my no, dude, I'm totally serious. In 2019, people still do that because there just like isn't there isn't the infrastructure out there. So I have to be honest with you that. 5G is cool and whatever, but I'm I'm a little bit more excited about I'm a little bit more excited about Starlink okay. and and these yeah. space-based you know satellite-based internet companies or internet providers that that will enable global coverage for um, and and this is this is going to advantage people around the world not just in the United States but around the world who don't have access to internet and it will enable high bandwidth data connections. I, I recently read that Starlink, which is kind of a, a subsidiary or a company that's related to SpaceX has has shown data speeds of 610 megabits per second wow m- measured on a fighter jet which I think is kind of dope so now now the that won't work to transmit data to a cell phone the the receiver is about the size of a pizza box but I mean I, I think the there are going to be some really cool applications of that technology because Rather than relying on the rollout of all these different small little nodes, people will be able to get this this little pizza box sized receiver, install it in their house, probably similar to how they install a satellite dish, and then they'll have super high bandwidth internet connections, even if they live out in the middle of nowhere. And 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 you can share that internet connection, of course, via 
Wi-Fi or, or, or whatever. So 5G, I think would be really cool, but it's not gonna solve the issue of a few billion people around the world that don't have access to, to internet and the many millions of Americans who don't have access to high bandwidth internet connections, uh, which I th- because of how many nodes are, are required. So I, I think um, we've touched on a bunch of, and, and I'm interested to hear if you have any other any other thoughts on, on the future of 5G. The, that's kind of the, the big stuff. I, I think I'm really glad that we touched on some of the, the drawbacks here. There was, there was a huge push just a couple of years ago you know, that we had, we meaning the United States had to be first in 5G. And I think there's some advantage to, to being first in that we, we might, um, enable greater AI development and and things like that. But this is kind of an iterative update in, in my view to cell phone tech. I'm excited about it. I'm excited to see what kind of apps developers are able to create on top of this infrastructure, but I'm a little bit more excited about space-based internet uh, of the likes of, of, of Starlink and, and other companies that are creating high bandwidth global access to the internet uh, over the next five to 10 years. I think that's going to be super exciting. Evan, is there anything else that you wanted to add before we wrap up the podcast? There is not. I uh, enjoyed our discussion. Yeah, I think moving into the future of 5G um, is an incremental change for sure, but because of its increase in speed so much over what is traditional if it's able to reach its potential and if we can get these hopefully uh, non-ugly transmission points rolled out into the world quick enough, I think it has a huge potential. Absolutely. Well said. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Only Tech Will Tell. As always, we invite you to rate, give us five stars if you can, subscribe, (laughs) send us to your friends. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you in the next one.